listening to a podcast of Elam Lutheran Church in Osakis, Minnesota. Our passion is to be an oasis of life-giving water where lost and wandering souls can find eternal refreshment. For more information and to find out more about our ministries, please visit osakiselamchurch.com. Or if you're in the area, come visit us in person. So as we transition to our sermon time this morning, there is one question I want you to have at the back of your minds and to be considering and thinking about as we make our way through our text this morning. Here it is. Can I trust my conscience? Can I trust my conscience? And if so, follow-up question, how can I know that I can trust my conscience? Our text this morning comes from 1 John. We're in the middle of a series through the book of 1 John. Today we'll be in chapter 3, verses 19 through 24. And I'll ask you to rise this morning for the reading of God's Word. 1 John chapter 3, beginning at verse 19. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before Him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and He knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him, because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. And this is His commandment, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as He has commanded us. Whoever keeps His commandments abides in God and God in Him. And by this, we know that He abides in us by the Spirit whom He has given us. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for Your Word to us this morning. God, Your Word addresses each one individually, each of our hearts. I pray that You would speak Your truth. God, I pray that You would peel back the layers of our hearts and our minds and and the facades that, that we build up that we would be honest with ourselves and with you about who we are. And God, that we would hear the gospel once again, that we'd be pointed toward the solution in Jesus Christ. And Heavenly Father, I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. Ogden Nash, the famous poet, once said, There is only one way to achieve happiness on this terrestrial ball, and that is to have a clear conscience or none at all. I tend to agree with him. I think it's hard, I would say impossible, to be content if your conscience always nags at you. In fact, I would go so far as to say that guilt is the driving factor between the majority of human decisions, of the decisions that we make on a daily basis. How can I say that? What do I mean? Well, think about this for a second. When a husband forgets to buy flowers for his wife on her birthday, this is all just theoretical, keep in mind. You know, it doesn't apply to me, but when this sort of thing happens, What does he do? He rushes back to the store, and he buys the flowers, and he brings them home to his wife. Part of the reason he's doing this is because he has a guilty conscience. 
There's a sense of guilt that's driving him. When someone misses a day on the treadmill, they're, they're driven back to the gym, at least partly, again, because of guilt. When you as parents, and I get this now, I'm a parent too, when we compare ourselves to the so-called parenting experts out there, right, and we realize how far short we fall, we are overcome, weighed down, burdened with a sense of guilt. When we're at the grocery store, this is a good one. When you're at the grocery store and you think you're done, you've checked everything out, you've got your bags, clerk looks up at you and asks, would you like to donate three cents to help the starving children in Africa today? Do you understand how much of a jerk you look like if you say no to that? So you nod your head and you say yes, partly because your conscience won't let you rest. There is a guilt that drives it. Whether it's getting in enough reps at the weight room, making decisions about how to balance work and family life, or parenting, our consciences are always there. Not for a moment do they ever let us rest, do they? Sometimes they condemn us, sometimes they exonerate us, sometimes they're right, sometimes they're wrong. But they never let us rest. So to illustrate, I want to share three stories with you today. Two of them fictional, one of them real. Story number one. Objectively speaking, scientifically this is true. The best Christmas movie of all time is Home Alone. Okay, We can arm wrestle after the service if you really want to fight me about it. Elf would be close too. Okay? We, can put the, we can say that. You know how this story goes. Kevin McAllister, kind of a, a bratty little eight-year-old kid, right? He has trouble with his, his family and his parents because they genuinely do mistreat him. He, ex- he experiences some bullying from his brother. His uncle is, is just, just plain mean to him. And uh, so he kind of, it all just explodes one night, and he says to his mom, I wish my family would just disappear. Next morning he wakes up, his wish come, came true. Family took off on vacation without him, right? They went to their, uh, wherever it was, Florida, I think. And so as you can imagine, Kevin is left home alone to fend for himself. Hijinks ensue. He, uh, at first, he thinks it's the best thing in the world, right? He, uh, he gets to eat ice cream until late at night, all by himself. He gets to watch movies he's not supposed to watch. He gets to sled down the... He gets to sled down the stairs, all these things that a little kid dreams of, of doing that he's not able to. He orders a lovely cheese pizza all for himself, the height of luxury when you're a kid. But after a while, he starts to miss his family, and he even feels bad for some of the things that he's done. And in one moving scene in particular, it's almost a makeshift confessional because Kevin shows up at, at a church. There's a, a choir concert going on. It's at night, and he sits down, and he kind of has a confession with the man in the pew next to him. The man asks Kevin, have you been a good boy this year? I think so. Swear to it? Kevin looks down, then sadly mutters, no. Yeah, I had a feeling, the man says, this is the place to be if you're feeling bad about yourself. It is? I think so. Are you feeling bad about yourself? Kevin asks. No. Kevin says pensively, 
I've been kind of a pain lately. I said some things I shouldn't have. I really haven't been too good this year. I'm kind of upset about it because I really like my family, even though sometimes I say I don't. Sometimes I even think I don't. Do you get that? I think so, the man replies. How you feel about your family is a complicated thing. Kevin adds, especially with an older brother. Kevin McAllister's heart condemned him. His heart would not let him rest because his conscience wasn't clear. That's story number one. Story number two. There's a book that was made into a movie. It's called The Kite Runner. And the protagonist in the story is a young boy named Amir. He's living during a very tumultuous time in Afghanistan. Amir's life takes a dramatic turn when he fails to rush to the aid of a friend of his as he is raped by a bully. Instead, he timidly hides behind a fence. He watches all of the events unfold. Later, he pretends to know nothing about the act. This traumatic event, combined with his cowardice, hung over Amir for the rest of his life. At one point, Amir is he's reflecting on the past and how it can still haunt a person in the present. And he says this, quote, I became what I am today at the age of 12 on a frigid, overcast day in the winter of 1975. I remember the precise moment crouching behind a crumbling mud wall, peeking into the alley near the frozen creek. That was a long time ago. But it's wrong what they say about the past, I've learned, about how you can bury it, because the past claws its way out. Looking back now, I realize I have been peeking into that deserted alley for the last 26 years. Amir's heart condemned him. His conscience was not clear. He could find no rest. Story number three. This one's a true story, though the names have been changed. During a routine pastoral visit, a pastor entered the room of an elderly Christian couple from the church. The man lived with his wife in a memory care unit. And at the time that the pastor walked through those doors, the man and his wife had just had a, had a really horrible fight. And he found the husband sitting on his bed in tears, angry and confused at the words he had just spoken to his wife of 67 years. He couldn't believe that, that he had done this. And he lost his temper. He looked the pastor right in the eyes and he said this, this is verbatim, Pastor, I don't understand it. I love my wife and I know how I should treat her. I know exactly what it is I'm supposed to do. So why the hell don't I do it? Again, his words exactly. His heart condemned him. His conscience wasn't clear. 
So what about you? What is your story? Where do you find your conscience condemning you, not allowing you to have peace? Maybe you remember Jiminy Cricket. Remember this guy, a little, little character from Pinocchio? He's Pinocchio's conscience. And Jiminy Cricket sings this little song. It's called Give a Little Whistle. If I could sing, I would do it for you, but I won't put you through that this morning. When you get in trouble and you don't know right from wrong, give a little whistle. When you meet temptation and the urge is very strong, give a little whistle. Take the straight and narrow path, and if you start to slide, give a little whistle. And always let your conscience be your guide. Always let your conscience be your guide. Sounds nice. Here's the problem with that philosophy, though. Our consciences are unreliable guides. They're not infallible. Here's what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 2.15. He says they, and when he says they, he's talking about the Gentiles, the, the non-believers, show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. Right? Sometimes my conscience accuses me, and other times it excuses me. There are times when I do something bad, and rightly so, I feel guilty about it. There are other times when I do bad, and I don't feel a thing. In much the same way, sometimes I do the right thing and I feel good about it, but sometimes I feel guilty even when I've done nothing wrong, right? False guilt is a thing too. In my family growing up, we had this rule in deer camp, and I don't think it's unique to us, uh, but the idea was you wouldn't take a small buck, right? You want the deer to grow big, you want them to, to get good size, so kind of in the name of game management... You wouldn't shoot a small buck. Now, there's nothing to my knowledge in the Bible that says, thou shalt not shoot a four-point buck. If I'm wrong on that, please accost me after the service, and I will be defrocked. Um, so there's nothing in God's Word that says that this is a sin. And yet, if I were to shoot a small buck, if someone were to do that, there's a, a sense of guilt there. There is a sense that, in fact, I've done something wrong, and my conscience is telling me I have sinned, I, I have transgressed, even though technically, morally, I had not. You see what I'm, what I'm kind of driving at here? Our, our consciences, our hearts, are unreliable guides. If we look to them, if we look inside ourselves to determine right from wrong based on how guilty I feel in any given moment, at some point we are going to err. So, where else can we look? Well, here's what John says in our passage today. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our hearts, and He knows everything. Did you hear that? 
Where does God direct us to look when our hearts condemn us? Not inward at our own thoughts and and feelings and emotions, but outward to something and someone outside of ourselves. God in Jesus Christ. The, uh, The Reformers, guys like Martin Luther and Melanchthon and all these, they had a special phrase that they used to describe this particular concept. Uh, it's called extra nos. And this is a, a Latin phrase. I don't know Latin. But this is a good one to remember. It just means outside of yourself. Extra nos. Can you say that with me? Extra nos. They recognize the importance of having something outside of yourself to tether, to anchor your faith to. Something that doesn't waver like our hearts and our thoughts our feelings. See, if we look inward, we are trusting an unreliable guide. But if we look outward, we are looking to the one who knows everything. See, the problem with our hearts isn't that they're just 100% wrong all of the time. Don't ever pay attention to anything you think or feel. It's not really it. The problem is that they only know in part. And in fact, much of the time, our hearts are are right. Like if I do something bad, a lot of the times, man, like that kind of weighs on me. To one degree or another, though our consciences are broken, we still have them. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 2.14. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires... They are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. See, the problem isn't that your heart doesn't know anything. It's that it doesn't know all the things. Your heart only knows in part. God knows the whole. Our heart knows we're guilty of wrongdoing. It knows we're condemned. It knows when we fail, but that's where its knowledge ends. There are limits to what our hearts know. That's all that it knows. So, what does God know that our hearts don't? God knows that though our our sin is great, His love for us in Jesus Christ is greater still. Dr. Gary Burge, who was a professor back when I went to to Wheaton College, he, he puts it this way, and I think this is so good. He says, if our conscience condemns, God overrides the verdict. If our conscience condemns, God outside of us overrides that verdict. He, the judge, declares us innocent. Us who are guilty of wrongdoing, who have committed the crime. Now, how can he do this? Does he just ignore our sins? Does he sweep them under the rug? Well, no. He does it through the shed blood of his son, Jesus. At the cross, Jesus took the sins of the world upon himself. 
your sins and my sins, suffering and dying in our place, experiencing the full force of God's undiluted wrath to forgive us and to save us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He became sin who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. He, Jesus, became our sin, that we might become His righteousness. See, it's a a two-way exchange that, that happens there. When God pounds down the gavel in his courtroom, the verdict of guilty falls upon the shoulders of Jesus. And the verdict of righteous falls upon you. See, friends, his love for you knows no limits. And he has the scars to prove it. Our consciences speak a partial truth, but God speaks the whole truth. As Martin Luther says, conscience is one drop. The reconciled God is a sea of comfort. Friends, those are, are the facts. When Jesus said it, was, it is finished at the cross, that wasn't hyperbole. He really meant it. And if you find yourself believing this, if you find yourself saying, yes, Jesus, I I believe in you, I confess that I am a sinner and I am unable to save myself, that you died and rose again for me. If you find yourself echoing those words this morning, the Bible has a word for that. It's called faith. And faith is a gift. It's something he, He gives to us freely through His Word. Faith means belief, but not belief in the sense that I believe this is a a microphone, more believe in the sense of active trust, not just, just mental assent to something, but an existential trusting and holding and resting and clinging to God's promises. And if that is you today, friends, praise the Lord And if you find yourself believing that for the first time today, would you do me a huge favor? Would you come up to me after the service and talk to me about that? Because I would love nothing more than to pray with you and to thank God for his gift of faith to you. Whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. The human conscience is an incredibly powerful thing. And we as human beings will try any number of of different methods to to assuage our consciences. So as we begin to wrap up our time this morning, let's take a look at those three stories I introduced at the beginning. Story number one, Kevin McAllister's late-night confession with the man in the church, right? telling him all about his bad attitude toward his family. He's confessing this. The man, who it turns out his name is Marley, he says this. This is his response to the confession. He says, you know, deep down, you'll always love them. 
You can forget that you love them and you can hurt them and they can hurt you. And that's not just because you're young. As beautiful and well-intentioned as his words are, they amount to a minimizing of guilt. He's saying, look, don't worry about it. It's not that big a deal. Deep down, you really love your family. Now, true or not, where is he directing his attention? Inward. Deep down, deeper, deeper, deeper down into yourself. Instead of directing his attention outward. Where forgiveness can actually be found. Story number two. Amir feels guilty about his failure to defend his friend against the attack of the bully, Asaf, who committed such a horrible evil against him. The guilt haunts Amir, and he actually spends the rest of his life trying to atone for it. He can't let it go. And sometimes this is our response to a guilty conscience as well. So we try to make our own atonement for sin. I think that, you know, with enough good deeds, if I can just do enough of them to outweigh the, the bad deeds, then I can flip the scales and I can make it right myself. The problem is... If the standard you're up against is be holy for I am holy, right? We'll always fall short. Enough is never enough to satisfy the demands of the law. Story number three, which is the true story. Pastor walking into the room of the elderly couple. The man just confessed to these angry words he'd spoken to his wife, and he's sitting there in, in tears. The pastor prepared to, to respond to this confession, but the man beat him to it. And here's what the man said. He said, you know, pastor, marriage really makes you realize things about yourself. It makes me see how sinful I am how weak I am. And the only thing I can think of to do in those circumstances is to rely upon God. I mean, what else can I do? He knew he had to look outside of himself to find peace and forgiveness. The pastor visiting that day was me. And the elderly gentleman's words have stuck with me ever since. He knew, maybe better than anyone else, the truth of that statement. Even when our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts and He knows everything. He knows our sin, but He also knows our Savior. And our Savior overrides the verdict of our consciences. Which means, friends, that, that we can join in with the words of that old hymn together. And if you know these, you can, you can say it with me. 
No condemnation now I dread. Jesus and all in Him is mine. Alive in Him my living head and clothed in righteousness divine. Bold I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own. May that be your refrain this week as well. Hey friends, Pastor Luke here. Thanks so much for tuning in. I trust that you've been blessed by our message from God's Word today. Hey, we'd love to connect with you more. If you have comments or questions, you can email me directly at pastorchellog at gmail.com. That's Pastor K-J-O-L-H-A-U-G at gmail.com. As we wrap up our time together today, please receive this benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. Amen. Amen.